Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. We start with such gratitude to God for the beauty of music and the beauty of the souls and precious spirits that bring it to us. Thank you. Let's go to God in prayer. Holy God, in this precious hour, we pause and gather to hear your word. To do so, Lord, we break from our responsibilities and from our play. We move from our fears that overwhelm us and from our ambitions that we that are so very strong. And we ask that you would free us in these moments from every distraction, that we can focus to listen, that we may hear, that we may change. We ask all of these things in the name of Christ. Amen. One of the things that I think is important when you preach from the Old Testament is perhaps one of the questions that I've heard off and on throughout my whole ministry is, why study or preach from the Old Testament? What does the Old Testament have to say to us? There were even some at some point that have felt that the Old Testament is irrelevant and really the only thing that we need is the New Testament. But what you have to understand that this is the salvation story of God is played out and given and, and, and given to us as a gift from the Old Testament. And you'll, it's an archetype of sorts, and you'll see it repeated over and over again throughout scriptures, up and throughout our modern times. People are suffering. God responds. God equips. God calls. God sends. God liberates. This is played out again and again, and not just collectively, but individually for us. This is how we come to our own salvation. But for me, the more important point really is that these are the stories that Jesus grew up with. This is his story. These stories and the Old Testament is what shaped the spirit of Christ and the spirit of Jesus as he went out to preach. This is what he depended on to shape his understanding of God and how God relates to human beings. And in addition, it became Jesus' story, and we can read in Scripture after Scripture how Jesus, like Israel, is called out of Egypt. He is tempted in the wilderness. He celebrates Passover. He is identified as the Passover lamb. He is also identified as the supernatural rock that followed Israel in the desert from 1 Corinthians. He assumes the role of the new Moses or the instructing God of Exodus 20 as he teaches his disciples from the mountain. And in the most remarkable move of all in the Old Testament, we hear about something called a tabernacle, which is actually not a place, but it's actually a dwelling. To be tabernacled means to be dwelled there among that. And so the tabernacle itself was something that was concrete and real with four walls and was even given the dimension. But in the New Testament, 
God is tabernacled somewhere else. And God is tabernacled in the very person of Jesus. So Jesus is a, 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 a living out, an incarnation of how God acts in salvation and how salvation comes to us. And this is the story that Jesus grew in faith and developed his sense of purpose and mission. And these are the scriptures of Jesus. And that in itself is really enough to send those of us who follow Jesus into the Exodus text. Jesus quotes Exodus, he insinuates Exodus, and he assumes his followers' remembrance of Exodus. And this was in order for them to see and recognize the God who hears the cries, the God who sees the pain, the God who comes, the God who calls, the God who liberates, the God who stays and provides, and the God who ultimately sends the Christ followers out to do the same to continue on in that living tabernacle. So to fully grasp the depth and enormity of the New Testament as an ongoing divine enterprise, a continuing story of an unchanging God, we have to go back to Exodus. You know, there's an old fable that has floated around in the uh, church world for a number of years, and it goes like this. A man was out taking a walk, a hike, and he stepped too close to a ledge. And the ledge gave way, and he began to slide down into a deep canyon. And on his way down, he grabbed hold of the most scraggly little tiny brush that was hanging out the side of the mountain, but it stopped him, and it held. The man was had hiked alone, and he didn't know what else to do, so he started crying out for help. But there was no one on the trail that early in the morning. So he started praying and crying out to God for help. God, help me, help me. And much to his surprise, God heard him and spoke back to him. Don't be afraid. I'm here, said God. The man shook with fear, but also with relief. And as most of us would probably do and have done, we promised God everything if God would save us. If you'll just save us, we'll do this and this and this. And the Lord answered him and said, Wonderful, said the Lord. Now let go. <laughs> Making promises is easy, but trusting can be very difficult. As Moses learned while leading the Hebrew people out of slavery in Egypt. When we come to this reading, it's, it's a little bit of a longer reading, but it's very interesting. I would, it's an interesting story for one thing. And I invite you also to pay attention to the verbs in the text and who the action is associated with. And I'm asking you to do this because, one thing, it may help your mind stay focused on the scripture. But another thing is the Bible is full of clues like this that informs us of the significant message of a text. So, for example, you'll see a text that's filled with verbs, actions. Who, who are doing the actions? That's a clue that points you towards the importance and the message behind that text. Listen now to Exodus 14, 19 through 31. The angel of God who was going before the Israelite army moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel, 
And so the cloud was there with the darkness and lit it up and lit up the night. One did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall from them for them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. The word of the Lord. Walk and move and believe. It's a story that is indeed an action story. Filled with movement and filled with commands and responses. The story of the deliverance of the Hebrews from slavery into Egypt sets the pattern for God's interaction with the people. God seeks to set the people free, free from the hold of a person and a culture that is in bondage to the past, and free from the powers that impress an individual and a society. This pattern is seen in God's work and in priests and prophets, in the personal interactions of Jesus with men and women, and most powerfully in the redeeming work of Christ in crucifixion and resurrection. It's God's grace that gives us the energy to keep our feet moving in the right direction. And what does God demand from us for this, for this grand liberation? To let go of the past, to let go of our plans, to let go of our fears. In other words, God demands that we trust God, that we lean into God. So Moses leads the Hebrews away from their Egyptian masters with Pharaoh's army in hot pursuit. Yet before even a refreshing breeze of freedom even has a chance to cool on their foreheads and down the sweat on their brows, the people turn fearful already. Even in that moment, they're afraid. 
We were better off, they moaned to Moses. How soon we forget. How soon we forget when we're out of danger. How dangerous our danger was. Change sometimes is more frightening than the chance for a new life. You can ask a substance abuser, this wonderful person, this brave person who has dared to begin to live clean, but the temptation to return to familiar patterns, no matter how destructive, becomes very compelling. Moses answers the people with the words of prophets and angels and the words that we cling to today even. Don't be afraid. Stand firm, Moses tells them. And see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. That's a big, that's a, a big job. And he's saying, let go. Stand aside. Let God do the work that God is about right now. We're so ready to say, yes, but maybe God doesn't quite understand the complications of my situation. Maybe God doesn't, won't be able to really respond in the way that will make me feel most comfortable with the least amount of sacrifice on my part. Moses continues, God has not forgotten you. In fact, God is leading the way before you, behind you, beneath you. The scriptures are telling the people over and over again, God is in action right here and right now. So don't be afraid. Keep moving, God says. Don't look back. I will deliver you. Maybe that's something that you're looking for or have been looking for for your whole life to be delivered, and yet you walk backwards your whole life looking back. But we do need to take the steps that lead us to the promised land. They had to make the journey, you see. They had to be ready to receive the gift of the promised land when they saw it. There are times when we are not ready to even receive the freedom that we've been given. We have grown comfortable with our imprisonment. We have grown comfortable with being victim or martyr. We've grown comfortable with having low expectations. The way in which the Israelites entered the sea is widely celebrated as a paradigm of leap of faith. On the verse that says the Israelites entered into the midst of the sea on dry land, there is this wonderful rabbinic midrash. A rabbinic midrash, it's an ancient and modern day commentary by the school of rabbis on a particular scripture. And on this one, they take it apart word by word, and they say, did they enter in the midst of the sea or on dry land? And the Midrash says this, from here you learn that the sea was not split for them until they came right into it up to their nose. Only then it became dry land. And that would indicate to us that just like the man on the side of the cliff who had to let go first, they had to go into the sea first, up to their nose, before it became the dry land. 
sometimes we have to step into it before we can see and free the wonderful salvific power of God to do the work of God. We have to step boldly forward into it with faith. We're called upon to do that over and over again in so many different ways. As a church, we're called to be faithful, to look to the future, not of what we want to do, but what does God want us to be about? Why has God placed us in this place, in San Marino, at this time, in this moment in your life? For what? The miracle, that is, happened only after the people had committed themselves entirely to God. And I think you can almost hear God speaking to the people and saying those two words, let go, leap. On the threshold of death, they experienced, viscerally experienced, the restoration to life as the waters surge apart on either side of them. And as the Hebrews wade out of the muddy edges of the Red Sea, before the waters come tumbling down, in that moment, it's the power and the glory of God who is called I Am that penetrates that hard shell that the Hebrew people have created around their hearts and their spirits because of their enslavement and because of the experiences they've had at the hands of inhuman humans. But it's in that moment that they recognize God as sovereign over all creation and over all other gods that would present themselves with power, like Pharaoh. You know, the Hebrew language is a very rich vocabulary, and it has a rich vocabulary to tell what God has done to help God's people. But save is by far the most richest in connotations and the most common. It appears in the Old Testament 146 times as a noun and 354 times as a verb. Save. The wonder of the Red Sea establishes the fact that salvation consists in what God does, not in what we do. We see and fear and believe, and that's it. Isn't that incredible? We really are never the authors of our own salvation. We cannot earn salvation. We cannot make ourselves have salvation. It's only by the will of God. Nor are we chosen for God's gifts because of any greatness in ourselves. We're chosen, we're chosen for God's gifts because we're the most likely person God could find to use those gifts in love of each other and in love of God, in building up the church. It was God who saved Israel at the sea, just as it was God who raised Jesus from the grave. And then Moses' words are the words that stop us in our tracks. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. What? Only to keep still? What does that mean, that we sit back and we let life happen over us? No, we're talking about salvation. You can do nothing to be saved. God has done it all. Whatever victories we may experience in our lives, 
They're finally not a work that belongs to us, but they're gifts from the God who desires our freedom. And I wonder when the last time you heard a religious or a political leader say, you only have to stand and watch God do God's work of salvation. But that's what we're told here in this story. And that's what we need to be told whenever we find ourselves facing a fragile ledge, a cliff, or an advancing enemy with our backs against an impassable sea. The next time you hear yourself trying to strike a bargain, anything, God, I'll do anything if you will just... Whenever you hear yourself say that, then hear God responding to you. Wonderful. Now let go. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we thank you for the love that you have for us. We thank you that you have given us so much hope. We thank you that you have given us even the possibility of trust. Trust itself, oh God, is so liberating, so freeing. It makes us breathe easier. It makes us sleep easier. It makes us carry a yoke that is light and not burdened. So we thank you. And we are grateful for this moment to be reminded by your story of the great hope that you have for us, liberation and trust. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.